and welcome to a special Double Tap. This is a follow-up uh, from the previous one with my good friend Grant, uh, Top Guns, where we discussed uh, Arsenal, given how much stick me and uh, Daryl often give Arsenal and Arsenal fans. We gave Grant the, the right to reply, and given as Liverpool played Arsenal not that long ago, um, it felt like a good time to, to do another one. So um, you have a good Christmas to start with, Grant, a nice little break. I do, thank you, mate. Yeah, a really good Christmas. Went down to the Isle of Wight, my homeland, and lots of beach walking and um, lots of football too. Yeah, there's plenty on over the week, uh, over the uh, course of the, a few shock results as well, which we'll obviously uh, come on to include in Arsenal. Um, I've definitely had better Christmases. Um, I got down to Bournemouth and uh, my old man had had a fall and um, basically spent the majority of time at the hospital and the poor bastard is still in hospital. So uh, I know he always uh, listens uh, to these. So best wishes to the old man and hope he, uh, he gets better quickly. But yeah, I've definitely yeah. Better. get well soon. I saw the photo. That's quite a fall. So I uh, hope you recover well. Yeah, yeah, it's a savage knee, uh, his, his knee for uh, the swollenness. But um yeah, he's getting better. He's had a. He say he's in hospital now. He's been in there for a few days. Had some blood transfusions um, and a few other things. So yeah, he's he's, he's on the mend. So I spoke to him yesterday. So uh, yeah, that's good. Glad to hear it. Good. We've got to start then with a the game. So um, it's a difficult but... one for me because a draw was probably a fair result, but I thought we were the better team. Yeah, I mean, let's just talk about the first ten minutes. So, well, it's funny, funny you say that only because I, because of the stuff from my dad, I'd taken him to the hospital and I was at the hospital with him and I was due to go to meet my mates from back home to watch the match and then go to the pub. And my old man, I didn't, you know, when you're like, is football more important than my dad's health? <laughs> you know, and my old man, to be fair to him, was like, look, make sure you go and watch the match. Got fuck off and go and watch the match. So I fly home, chuck on a change of clothes so I go to the pub later. I walk into my mate's house, we're watching it uh, at, I think, 11 minutes and we're 1-0 down. And I'm like, for fuck's sake, Jesus Christ. So I've got to be honest, I didn't see the first 11 minutes. Obviously, I saw replays of the goal at half time. But so you'll have to lead me on the first 10 minutes or so. Cool. Uh, Would you... Just to uh, mirror your example there, I was driving down from Bristol to the Isle of Wight to check into an Airbnb with wife and 10-month-old baby and a dog. My mum was also coming over that day. I literally dumped the bags in, ran out to the pub to meet my mates to watch the game. Um, And the first 10 minutes, we were really up for it. We were sort of wrestling for the domination of the ball. Uh, We definitely had the, the upper hand in the first 10 minutes, but... Even when the goal went in, we looked really pumped. And I thought, that's a lot of adrenaline there, not very composed. Um, and it just dissipated. Literally after the goal, it was like, well, that was all we did. The rest of the game, it was all you, I thought. Um, but it started well, passed it quickly. And that seems to be a pattern with us. We get a goal and then we just, we're not going for the kill. And it's really costing us. Um, so, yeah, on the whole, I agree. I think you were the better team. Um, then again, we were the away team to get a draw at Anfield. Pretty good result, I suppose. But um, performance-wise, oh, sure you'd, you'd take that every time, wouldn't you? Really, and um, I mean, from 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 our point of view, um, obviously we got the goal back. Um, you know, Mo scored, saved us again. Um, we're going to struggle for sure, which again I think something we'll come on to 
when he leaves, he leaves for the African nations after tonight. So we're going to be missing Mo. And depending how far Egypt go, he could be out for a month. That's going to be, even though he hasn't quite been bang on form uh, as he usually is, he's, he's always the key man. And yeah, Going back to the goal, though, um, when, you, when he got the ball, uh, you couldn't say there's a goal coming here, could you? It, it, well, you, you wouldn't have thought so, but it was. He's, a the t- he's basically on the touchline near the corner flag, and Zinchenko's got one job: is to show him down onto his right foot and usher him out of play, and he just lets him cut in and shoot. It's just diabolical defending. Poor, I've got to be honest as well. Again, I know we, we, we we're again we'll probably maybe something we'll come on to the Ray Ramsdale situation, but I thought it was poor goalkeeping, if I'm honest as well, because he. I, I did as well. In slow motion, it looked. Bad because he was basically the ball was straight at him, but in full speed, it was just a full blast shot, wasn't it? From eight yards or something. But yeah, I agree. I think you could have got something on it. You always think when you get, I'm always harsh on keepers, but if they get a hand to it, nine times out of ten, they probably should be saving it because they've obviously got something there. If the hand's a bit stronger, if it's in a slightly better place, then you would think that um, they should have saved it. Um, I mean, the crusher for me really was that, that there wasn't, if we're being honest, uh, we, had, we had a few other sort of more minor chances where we fucked it up was that five on two break. <laughs> wasn't it? And like how on earth we managed to fuck that up. I have no idea. I know. I mean, we, we turned away. We're in the pub and the break was on. I literally turned off the screen. I was like, I can't, can't look at that. It's just going to be a car crash. But somehow we escaped it. But other than that, I don't think there was many clear-cut chances either end, was there, really, over the, the 70, 80 minutes after the goal? And as you say, as much as I felt slightly aggrieved, I think we, we definitely should have scored from the from the break. But you're right, apart from that, and probably neither, t- no, neither fan, you know, me or you, could probably argue, you know, it was the top two in the league. Most of the time, if you say, all right, we were the home team, um, you know, I think we, you know, we, we would have fancied winning. Um, I suppose the only downside for me is Arsenal leading up to that hadn't been in the best of form, and then since that, it, it, I mean, you're in, in 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 real trouble, aren't you? I mean, moving on to the next couple of games, um, Liverpool cemented top place, and it's nice to if you'd offered Liverpool, any Liverpool fan. Uh, halfway through the season to be uh, top of the league with a game in hand. Mm-hmm. I know we're joint uh, with, with Villa, but with a game in hand, I'd have snapped your hand off and we, we quite comfortably beat uh, Burnley. Um, and then I was actually down the hospital uh, with my old man the night that Arsenal played West Ham. My old man's a West Ham fan, as I often say. He was expecting a drubbing and we couldn't believe the result. I mean, it did us a massive favour, but your guys' form just seems to have fallen off the face of a cliff. Definitely. Um, well, actually, I, we were going to get tickets for that West Ham game, but luckily we got dropped in. That was a complete waste of a, an 8-15 game on the, uh, the 28th. But See, it, as well, it's, at it's, home, it's, losing 2-0 to West Ham. That late, <laughs> and happened to get back, that would have been fucking... Uh, that would have been brutal, just, yeah, so yeah. dodged a bullet there. Um, but if you watched that game, we were, as you'd expect us to be, against most teams, ball-dominant passing a lot but never really liked scoring I think we had a couple of chances in the first half but it was lackluster really fans were a bit dead as well um, as the press reported 
But I think the biggest problem is we're, we're really predictable now. And I think it's been coming. If you look back to the games we've won over the last 10 games, they've, they've been close games. They're a 2-1 or a 2-0. When was the last time we thumped anyone 5 or 6-0? But the amount of attack and prowess we've got, we're just not dominating after the first goal. Um, so I do feel we've been probably flattering ourselves a bit to be up at the top without really playing particularly well. Um, so it was coming. And we're so predictable to play against. And we've seen this before with Arsenal when we were the Invincibles, when we had the, the title wins. You're going to have 11 men behind the ball and we're going to have to find a way to break them down. And part of what we've done really well is have our pacey players getting in, be- in behind defenders. And they're not doing that now, so we're really easy to play against. Uh, there's nothing through the middle. So it's Saka and Martinelli and, and Odegaard. Once you take those three out, there's not a lot happening. I mean, Odegaard seems to have, his form doesn't seem to have been great. Uh, as you say, Sack is probably the the one that you'd say at the moment seems to be the the, the most on form. But I did a little bit of research and um, sent you a couple of uh, stats over here that make pretty appalling reading. So in the form table over the last five games, Arsenal are 15th with four <laughs> points from five games which is fucking not ideal for someone challenging for the title. Where are um, Man City, interestingly, looking at that? Uh, they're fifth, so they have got... Uh, so they had they, a bad run of losing a few, didn't they? They, they, they did, but weirdly, they, they are fifth with 10 points from five games. Mm. Liverpool, uh, 11th, the, um, the, the slightly better statistic probably for, for Arsenal fans is um, the form table over 10 games, Arsenal are 7th. So they've got 16 points out of the last 10, but Liverpool at top of that with 22 points out of 10. The shocker, and this I can't even believe, Bournemouth on that because they're a game behind. (laughs) They're fourth in the form table over 10 games with uh, 19 points out of nine games. So if they win the game in hand, they would actually go above Liverpool on the form over 10 games. They would be the top. Yeah, it's crazy to think, isn't it, with a team that no one's even thought about as a a threat of, of mass those kind of points in ten games. But it's the manager, isn't it? It was super highly rated. You know, Leeds uh, at one point were looking like they were trying to get him and go out, and he, he he said no. He was a bit more selective. He had a bit of a slow start to the season, but he seems to have turned some of those players. I mean, Dominic Solanke. I mean. Mm. It was shit at Chelsea. Liverpool bought him for a million pound from a tribunal, managed to sell it, managed to get what I thought at the time was a good deal of 18 million uh, from from Bournemouth for him. Um, And he's currently um, joint second top scorer in the league with 12 goals. So he scored more goals than both of our strikers, our centre-forwards combined probably. So, I mean, that's a shocker, isn't it? So, I mean, you've always got Haaland and... Haaland's still top, even though he's been out for a few games. Then you've got Mo, Son and Solanke on 12 goals. If I'm looking for Arsenal players, you have to go down to Saka. Saka's next with six goals, six assists. After that, we're going a long way down. Um, for uh, And you've got then Nketia on five goals. And didn't he get a hat-trick in one game? So three of them goals. Did, yeah. Um, so you guys going forward, like you say, are really struggling. And that was one of the questions I had for you is, do you think they'll go big in the 
uh, transfer window. They, they've been linked with a couple of strikers um, in terms of Osserman. Um, I'm trying to think of the other person I saw. Uh, what's, um, obviously, Ivan Tony is the other one, isn't it? But do you think that they will, will back Arteta and buy a striker? I Financial fair play, I think we're going to be struggling. We haven't sold anyone. We've rewarded lots of players with contracts. So I don't see anyone coming in in January. If anyone did come in, it's not going to be a break-the-bank striker. And Tony's going to be overvalued, isn't he? He's going to be a silly money. So I don't see us getting either of those two. I think, if anything, you might get another defender because Gabriel and Libra played every game. We've got problems at right and left back, I think, at the moment, which is showcased in the Liverpool game. Uh cost us the goal. West Ham again, it was it was from the wings. Uh the goal came in getting skinned on the wings. No pace really or defensive quality. So we're in a bit of trouble on those positions and that's more likely I think where we'll sign anything. Uh, one of the full backs. But just sticking on the striker point, uh, in our first podcast for the listeners who listened to that one, I I said we can't win anything without a striker. Um, Gabriel and Ketty have both been underwhelming this season, probably worse than last season, in fact. Um, Jesus has missed a couple of good chances and just stifling the play. As I said earlier, so easy to play against when there's no centre-forward threat. No one's getting in behind. There's no pace being used. Uh, and looking at the midfield, we've got no range of passing. If you watch the West Ham game, the Liverpool game, um, the game against Fulham, every pass is a 15-yard pass on the deck. We're not mixing it up. There's no over-the-top balls, not switching the play quick enough. So we're really missing party, which I also said in our first podcast. Um, that forward, moving the ball forward rather than sideways is like a, a massively important thing. And you watch Man City, the, the players are getting the ball on the turn. We're getting it with a back-to-goal all the time. And Saka can't do anything. He just gets fouled or he knocks it back to the right back. So real problems. Um probably not just the transfer market. Arteta needs to look at different formations and trying to find a way to use our pace because it's it's not happening at the moment. Martinelli's just going down to the touchline and then comes back. So I think I'd be looking at maybe Martinelli down the middle, which I also said in our first podcast, get some pace through the middle of the pitch um, and, and maybe flooding a bit in midfield. So we're, we're pushing higher up because it's, it's not going to work playing like that for the rest of the season. Yeah, well, I mean... Say as you say, you mentioned we've already done one of these podcasts and we, we talked about a few things. And, and one of the things we mentioned, uh, I had a quick re-listen uh, to the podcast to sort of bring up some of the points that we'd previously discussed, um, so we could sort of revisit them. Uh, one of the things that obviously you'd mentioned was that you know Arsenal had gone out and had strengthened what on the on the face of it appeared pretty well at the start of the season. Um, midway through the season, running through the seasons. Um, give me a view on how they've settled in and, and, and maybe give me a, a rating out of 10. So we've got to start with Rice. My own view, he looks like one of your best players, by far and away the best player, and um, has made a massive difference to your midfield. But what, what would you say about Rice? Yeah, I'd score him a 10. I mean, he's as you said, he's our best player now. He's the most influential and he's really masked our results because without him I think we'd have lost a lot of those games um, he's been immense and I think every Arsenal fan would probably put him at the top of the tree at the moment, probably arguably give him the armband because he's more of a leader than Odegaard's ever going to be um, Odegaard just leads by example, he's a good player but doesn't organise, doesn't sort of grab people and say come on this is 10 minutes where we've got to hold it 
So I'd give rise to the armband already. He's proven himself as a leader. Um, and I'm, yeah, by far our best signing. And I'm not sure, maybe Rodri, probably the only person that you might have in, a, in that position. I mean, Rodri, for me, watching I've watched a few City games over the, the course of the season. I've read a few different articles as well, but he's probably the best midfielder in the world, if you ask me, Rodri. What yeah, he does I think you're right. And... At the moment, I think Rice has got potential to to get there. But yeah, I put Rodri first and Rice second, I think, at the moment. So then you've got Havertz and again, Havertz. Is... <laughs> funny, yeah. funny one, Havertz. Go on, you finish. Uh, he certainly looked better, I think, for you than he did for Chelsea. He came with loads of potential, never seemed to have a good game for Chelsea. At least with you, I have seen a few of your games where you suddenly think, ah, right, is Arteta getting the best out of him? But it's just too 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 and far between in terms of the quality. But what would you rate Havertz in terms of a signing? Yeah, I mean, when he started with us, I couldn't really work out what he was good at. And what's his skill set? Is it taking on players, aerial threat? passing he didn't seem to be good at anything when he started so I gave him five games just to read him but he's actually getting in the right positions a lot and more often than not he's in a goal scoring position for someone with not a lot of pace um he's actually quite physical as well he's he's a good presence in the box and he holds up quite well so there are qualities there and he is getting better um and if you look at the last few games we've missed him when he hasn't played which sounds crazy because at the start of the season no one no Arsenal fan wanted him there um, so I'd probably give him a seven. I think he's done better than the press and the, the fans have given him credit for. Um, and he's, if you look at our midfield three, Odegaard, Havertz and Rice, you've got one defensive player and two passers, probably no pace in there at all. Um, and when I say passers, we're short, moving the ball quickly type passers. So in that system, I'm not sure Havertz can play his best football either, but I think he's done okay and probably a seven and he probably is a starter for us, which... I didn't think he was at the start of the season. I mean, I've always felt a bit sorry for him personally because when he was banging him in for Leverkusen, he was basically playing as like a 10. Mm. Chelsea never played him as a 10. You play him in a, in a three. I think he's one of those players that you really need to play a 4-2-3-1 with him being the man behind, you know, the 10. And I think if any if he if he played that for any team, you would see quite a big improvement. And, and exactly. that's the player that he is, but where he's playing in, in a three like he did with Chelsea and like he does with you, that's not his position and certainly doesn't suit the skill set that we saw at Leverkusen when he was so highly rated. And this is exactly my point. Arteta's got players at his disposal who can play lots of positions. Havertz could play up top, he could play number 10, he could play higher up the pitch on the left. He's even played left-back for Germany, I think. Um, you've got Odegaard who can play anywhere across the front three. Martinelli and Saka could both do that but he's not doing it. So hopefully we're going to see in the next few weeks a bit of change because that's going to confuse teams, which Havertz could play in a different position, I agree. I think give him a run at number 10 and move Odegaard further back and get him to have the ball deeper. Got to try some options. And the problem as well, I'd say on a frustrating note, if I was an Arsenal fan, like you, you, you mentioned it earlier, financial fair play, keeping within the rules, what you paid for Havertz you probably could get Tony for around that. They're talking about 80 mil, but I think that's just a bit of posturing from Brentford. They're not going to get that. Osserman has a 120 mil release clause. So he's probably, you know, unachievable. But you could argue if they'd saved the money on Havertz, they might well then have the money for Tony. Absolutely. And 
Tony is underrated, as you say. Compared, I used to I used to really like Jesus and thought he was underrated. Started really well with you and started to look like he might be the player that uh, he should have been at City. Um, but he's gone completely off the boil. And if you put a bit of a physical presence like Tony, he's obviously got his perfect penalty record as well. So if you get a penalty, you know he's going to score it. Um, he would suddenly inject a whole new dimension into your attacking play, I would say. Quite possibly. I mean, I don't know if he's necessarily the type of player Arteta would go for or Arsenal would go for normally. Um, but he would slot straight into the team we the team we play, and certainly for Premier League quality. I think he was the second or third highest goal scorer last year. So, yeah, he would be a no-brainer yeah. if we could get him. And that was for a shit team like Brentford, who were doing a poor Exactly, yeah. And look how much, how poor they've dropped off without him. So, he does guarantee your goals. Um, I mean, again, a but, lot of them are usually penalties, but he, he's a physical presence. He can hold the ball up. That would allow you probably to then bring in the wider pace of your players. He holds it up. That allows... Martinelli and Saka to make the runs that we're talking about. You're saying that are being stifled at the moment. So mm-hmm. I think it'd be a great signing for you. If, you. if you look at Liverpool at their best, they're literally running, all their players are running towards the goal they're trying to score in. And the defence are just all over the place trying to work out where the ball's going. Arsenal haven't had that feeling with our attack for a while now. We had it for a bit last season, but now it's like, well, we know we're going to pass it out wide to Saka. They're going to double team him. He's going to cut in and pass it back to Odegaard or go over to Martinelli. And there's never any fear that they can't get back in position and contain what we're doing. Um, and that Liverpool fear factor is what makes Liverpool still a threat, no matter what they're doing in terms of their form. Because when they attack, they've got a system of play where they're, they're putting people on the back foot and we're just not doing it. So I think a striker would add add that threat because nobody's bothered by Enketia or Jesus no pace, they don't take players on, they don't shoot from distance, they're not good in the air. So when you strip it down, <laughs> that's like a man off almost, and that's how we're playing at the moment. And then I suppose the final one to mention is uh, Raya, who controversially, you know, was, was signed anyway. Uh, you know, had a really good season for Brentford, was linked with some big teams, but I think his lack of quality, if you ask me, has started to show in the last few games. And... I don't know whether it's uh, Arteta trying to build his confidence and not just want to drop him, but I've got no idea why he hasn't been taken out of the firing line and Ramsdale put him. I totally agree. I think he's had about two clean sheets. I might be wrong. Two or three clean sheets since he joined us. Um, Playing in front of... Sorry, playing um, with a defensive sleeper, Gabriel, in front of him. You would think that's a pretty good banker for clean sheets in our home games, at least. Um, He looks flaky doesn't he at best he's not a good shot stopper from what I can tell he's rarely in the right position he's flappy on crosses so again I'm struggling a bit like Havertz what's he actually good at because he was supposed to be good at commanding the ball on crosses when he joined us and he's conceded two goals against Luton which were his fault he looks completely out of his depth doesn't he so I think a problem... he reminds me of is uh, he, he has all of the same skills if you ask me and this is probably a harsh indictment of him of Mignolet when he played for Liverpool. Um, couldn't cross, couldn't fucking catch a cross, uh, couldn't, you know, couldn't catch a cross like he could catch a cold. Um, he makes a clangor in him. He's not great with the ball at the feet. The only saving grace that you would say is he has outstanding reactions. So when there's a shot that's, you know, quite close to him or something like that, he does pull off these saves that you don't, 
necessarily expect him to and other keepers would. But, but... I'd argue Ramsdale had that. If you look at his save against Leicester last season, and I'd say Ramsdale's a better uh, reflex goalkeeper, which I'd rather have Ramsdale at the moment. At least he's focal, at least he looks up for the games. Ray is not really commanding anything in the box and organising the defence. So you look at back at the great teams, they all need a good goalkeeper. Um, and you've got one. I mean, Alisson's probably still the best, I think, uh, in the league and makes a massive difference. 100%. Yeah, it's, it's, you, every, every turtle-winning team needs that spine. You need an amazing goalie, you need an amazing centre-back, an amazing mid, and someone who can yeah. put the goals away. And, and we're, said, we're missing that in two positions, striker and goalkeeper. So, as I said in our first one, we're not winning anything until we get those key positions right. And I thought Raya might be it because he was highly rated when he joined us. And he looked good in his debut against Everton and then he's just crumbled since then. So so give him a six or five, maybe. Certainly not, not anything higher. I would definitely say that's generous. But yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you say you've definitely seen him more. So um, what would you put? I mean, is there any obvious reasons you would say for the dip in form? What, where's this suddenly, you know, the, the dropping the points come from and, and what is alternative of it? Yeah, you definitely can't put your finger on one reason why it's happened. I mean, other than we're pretty much the same starting 11 most games or give or take a few positions, the bulk of the attacking team is the same. Um, could be a bit fatigued. Um, Martinelli doesn't look particularly happy at the moment. I'm not really sure why. Fans seem to get on his back and... I just want to say, first of all, no Arsenal fan is going to start criticising this team or Arteta. Yes, we've lost a few games recently. Every team does. Man City did it a few weeks back and no one's saying Pep's lost the plot. So let's not get carried away here. Arteta's the reason that we're even having this podcast because Arsenal were nothing before he came along. Um, And the players, again, have given us reason to believe. So no criticism or anything particularly. It's just I think teams have worked us out. They know how to set up against us. They know how to stop our threats. And then we're really struggling to score because there's no variation. Um, as I said, our striker doesn't take any shots from well, tap-ins or headers maybe on the goal line. That's, that's Jesus's goal record. And Ketty is like an Ian Wright type player in the sense of he'll get a goal if he gets half a chance. But because we don't play anything through the middle, he's not getting any half chances. So he's almost redundant as well. Declan Rice doesn't shoot from distance. Um, Havertz is more of a, a striker really when he gets in position he's got a chance but won't really create so really the attacking threat is our problem and the goals are coming all by counter-attacks Liverpool's goal was a counter-attack West Ham's was a break of play counter-attack that's our risk when we're so ball dominant as, as you know as a Liverpool fan once you've got the ball all the game they're, they're playing for a break aren't they uh, one or two chances a game to beat us um, and that's just happened a few times in a row now so not panic stations, but Arteta knows better than me, but he's going to have to get variation to formation and strategy, try and get some pace into the team. Um, I don't think signing's the answer, but yeah, we do need a few. And when you play us back, if we can get Party back, he's going to make a world of difference, but you're going to have him and Rice in midfield, hopefully, um, and he's going to make everything better in midfield. Arteta <laughs> will then let Odegaard roam and play um, attacking only. Presumably, you face the same problem with Partey, though, as uh, Liverpool do with Mo, in that he's going to be off to the Africa, if he is fit, um, he's going to be off to the African nations, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a rough patch for both of us, I guess, losing some of our, our best players. But I suppose Man City must have a few players going. I haven't really thought this through, but 
usually. I think they're, they're, they're relatively lucky in that respect. I mean, it's better than it used to be for us because Liverpool, we used to lose Salah and Mane. And yeah, do you know what yeah. I mean? When we had that front three like they were, you take two of them out, we were in, it, we were struggling. Obviously, now that we've probably got the front five, I wouldn't say we can cope without Mo because he's definitely still our best player. But we've got enough other options now that can come in to cover his absence. But I just hope Egypt, Egypt get knocked out in the first round and he comes back quickly is uh, what we need. And probably the same for you with Ghanaian, isn't he, Partey? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so but is, is it also the, the Asian couple of nations as well? So I think Son's going, isn't he? And Tomiyasu is probably going as well. Yeah, well, this was one of the points I was going to come on to for Liverpool. Um, we lose Endo, uh, which, um, I mean, well, unless you've got anything else thought about Arsenal, it would seem a, a, a convenient point to move on to talk about Liverpool, unless you've got anything Definitely, else to yeah. say. No, um, I, think, um, I think I've covered all our my gripes, but um, they're small gripes, because we're still only three, four points off the top, and to have a dip in form now isn't the end of the world. Um, if our best stuff's still to come, I, I'm not worried. Um, and I mean, look again, looking back, if we look back at the, the again, the, the points I made when we did our first one, I mentioned how I thought we we missed a real quality defensive midfielder. Um, we, you know, we bought Endo. I didn't really feel that he was necessary. He's definitely not the long term answer, but he's a shorter term solution. Um, he hardly played to start with. I think he was being very, very slowly integrated in because he was used to playing part of uh, a midfield four, to, uh, you know, two defensive midfielders at Stuttgart. Um, so I think it took uh, a bit of time for Klopp to get him to learn the system. But he's completely changed my mind over the last few games and looks a really great player. Um, I mean, he started the last two, uh, the last six games for us uh, and we've only conceded two goals um, he breaks the game up superbly. He reads the game re- better than I expected. Uh, the amount of ground that he covers is quite incredible. And uh, an area that I didn't expect of him, I've, admittedly, I think they were both in the Europa League, so not quite the standard of the Premier League. He's got a motherfucker of a long shot on him as well. And he can bang the goals in from long range. So at the moment, we are Endo is, is, is doing a fantastic job in that role uh, that at the start of the season we had McAllister uh, doing and he clearly is not a defensive mid and we were getting <laughs> caught out with that. Um, so, yeah, that's a big loss for us in the same way that you mentioned, like, you know, Tommy Asu, we, we lose Endo um, to the Asian Cup of Nations <laughs> as well. So that's a big miss for us. And I don't quite know what... Um, uh, Klopp's going to do uh, in that respect whether he's, he'll put maybe Trent there and then go Gomez at right back um, McAllister's still uh, slightly injured so not quite ready to come back so that that's definitely a concern uh, for me Yeah, I mean I, I was watching the Arsenal-Liverpool game with this in mind saying, what have Liverpool done differently since the last time I watched them against Arsenal I looked at your new players and sometimes I didn't really affect the game much did he but I do rate him, I think he's a He's a player to to improve you. Um, but two players that struck me most from Liverpool, before we go on to the signings you mentioned, were Van Dijk seems to be back to his best. And Trent, when he does get into those middle areas, has got a massive engine on him. He can get up and down all day long, it looked like. So I think they're your big positives from a neutral perspective. 
But looking at, did Endo even play against Arsenal? I'm not sure he was in the starting lineup. Yeah, he did. No, no, he did play. Um, yeah, I mean, we didn't get to see much of him because we didn't attack much, I guess. But um, so I didn't get a good read on him. Player as well, though, that he, he, you don't really notice, which is a could be a good or a bad thing, but you don't really seem to notice him. You know, he's, he's just there when you need him. Um, as you say, he's not a headline grabber apart from when he scores these long range goals. But um, he did what he needed to. He, he got a few couple uh, a couple of tackles in there. Um, I mean, Slobber's eye for me at the start, I think, again, when we first spoke, I said that I thought McAllister was our best signing. Um, some of that factored in the price that we got him a lot cheaper than, than we did Slobber's eye. But uh, you're right, Slobber's eye had one of his worst games for us against you, which was a bit of a shame. But I've been taken aback by how good he is. Um, he's got an f- incredible engine on him. He gets up and down like... Uh, you know, he's the closest thing I would say to a Steven Gerrard-esque player since we've had him. He can get tackles in, he can get up and down, and he can absolutely smash a ball. Um, I mean, he can, if you watch what the, the goals that he scored, uh, again, only a couple in the Premier League, some in the um, uh, Carabao Cup. He's got this slightly Ronaldo-esque way of hitting the ball, that the way yeah. he just... It. He just gets so, so much either curl on it or it just goes so straight and accurate. But he, he for me, is undoubtedly now, you know, as a mid-season review, been our best signing. And he looks absolutely fantastic. And not expected, was it? I don't think anyone thought, well, he's a, he's a player that's going to change Liverpool. Definitely not. There's certainly not that quickly because he's only 22. Cap, you know, captain of his, his country already. So that, that you know, all right, it's only Hungary, but... That gives you an example that he's got still, some still leadership, yeah. qualities there. But yeah, he, he has been uh, fantastic for us. Um, you're absolutely spot on about Van Dyke. Um, it took a while after those, that, that knee injury and he looked very, very shaky. I think it's helped that he's got a more... Klopp was rotating whoever he was playing against uh, or playing with him a lot. So Canate, Matip... But with Matip being injured, it's been Canate and they seem to have formed a um, pretty solid partnership. But I, I would absolutely agree with you that for me, uh, him and Ruben Diaz uh, are the two best centre-backs in the league by quite a way. You think? You're still not counting Gabriel and Saliba in that mix? So, Saliba's close. I think, uh, again, I don't think he's helped by the players around him. Uh, Gabriel... No, if I'm honest with you, I don't. I don't feel he's he's near that kind of level. But uh, Saliba would certainly be in, in in the conversation, and of course he's got so much potential. Whereas the other two are, you know, Van Dijk is over thirty. I think yeah, Diaz yeah. is say twenty six. Saliba's what twenty one, twenty two. So he's got time on his side, and I have very little doubt that if he carries on his progression like he's been, he will be one of the best, you know, in, in the league, you know, in not very long. But yeah. I feel like you say he needs those players around him. Like, as you say, the difference it makes for someone like Van Dyke having Alisson behind him. So even if someone does manage to go past him, knowing you've got that backup of one of the best keepers in the world, I feel Couldn't like Saliba and Gabriel don't probably have that confidence in them that, shit, if they go past us, this might be a yeah. fucking goal. Mm-hmm. This is it. It affects your positional play. 
you're not being talked at from behind either. So you don't see what's behind you, whereas a good keeper will be shouting at his defenders. I don't feel that's coming from Raya, but Allison's still... Yeah, I mean, the confidence through the middle. The only thing you haven't got really is that centre-forward position, a bit like us. Yeah. I mean, do, you, do, you, do you see Liverpool going back in the market in January? Uh, no, because I feel that... I, I always get pelters for this, but there is a world-class player in Nunes. We just haven't managed to unearth or get that consistency from him yet. Um, he's very, very hit and miss. I, I know that, and I, I'm, never, I'm not going to say he's anywhere near as consistent as we need him to be. He's been more consistent um, this season. Uh, I think he's one of those players that he, he might have the most shots in the Premier League, so he gets in the right positions. He just isn't clinical enough when it's needed, but he's had 18 games in the Premier League uh, this season. I've got to be honest, I didn't look up how many of them are starts and how many, a fair few of them must have come from the bench. Probably six at least of them have come from the bench and he's got five goals and five assists. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's not doing terribly. Um, And the thing that gives me hope uh, and, and maybe Klopp should up, should get on the phone to, to Bielsa and have a word for him. If you've ever watched any of the, the, the South American qualifying, he's like a transformed man when he plays for Uruguay. Yeah, so yeah. Six, six games with Uruguay, five goals and two assists, including the winner away at Argentina, which was the first time Uruguay beat Argentina in like 30 years. So Bielsa has, has clearly got away with him or a way to get the best out of him. Now, is that that may well be that Uruguay plays slightly differently. Uh, I, I haven't watched enough of them to, to be able to comment on that. But there is a there is a, a an absolutely bl- blinding striker in there. We've just got to find the way for him to unlock a bit more calmness in front of goal. There is an element of controlled chaos with him you know he gets the ball he does run at people he does disrupt teams and when we bring him off the bench you can see sometimes that he creates problems you know his goal against Burnley I don't know if you saw that he's not soft either is it he's not soft either he can mix it so I think he does have all the quality I feel that we 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 underutilize the crosses We, we we do relatively well at set pieces with you know Virgil and Canate but he should be scoring more goals from set pieces because he's a big lad. Um, do you not think, though, just, just drawing the, the analogy with our, our teams and Man City, they've got the centre-forward position where they can play three midfield to the striker. I don't think either our teams do. I think it's always out to Salah, out to Diaz or Jota, whoever's on the wings, and play from there. And I think we're the same at Saka Martinelli and play from there. But Man City have got three options. They can go through De Bruyne, straight through the middle, Um and cause problems through the middle too. And I think that's why Man City are so successful. Obviously, they've got multiple financial fair play breaches, which arguably we should just do the same breach it and keep building our squad. But they've got options everywhere. And I think Liverpool has struggled as well when you've lost that centre-forward position. Yeah, and I mean, again, it's, it's easy to say it because it would be the same for most teams. But imagine Haaland in Arsenal or Liverpool. We'd be exactly. like they win the league, don't they? Yeah, both teams win the league already by a mile. If you put him in either of our teams, the way that we play from the the wing, and arguably, I would oh, probably maybe controversial, but 
Martinelli and Saka, Mo and Diaz, I would probably say are better than City's wingers in terms of like Doku and Grealish. If you looked at it like that, if you put someone like a Haaland in either of our teams, both of us would be probably 10 points clear by now. Yeah. So, I mean, the financial fair play is a joke. I mean, if you go back to the Wenger days, going off topic slightly from Liverpool, um, Arsenal complied with the rules and got punished because everyone else breached them and won. Uh, Chelsea have done it. Man City have done it. They're still doing it. So, I mean, there's no ethics in football. It's not really the Arsenal way to say that, but we may as well just breach the rules like everyone else does because we're in a winning position now. I mean, it's going to be really interesting what happens given Everton breached them and got a one Mm. breach, I think, or was it three, one or three breaches and got a 10-point deduction. And like you say, Man City have, I think me and Daryl looked it up on a previous podcast, but it might be something like 114 breaches. It's over 100, definitely. You're not, you're not going to get a 10-point deduction for every breach. That would be nonsense because City would end up in um, the Northern <laughs> fucking league. But if, if you look at it based on that, for me, they've got to be banned from Europe and they should probably be relegated to the Championship. Absolutely. And even just the accumulation, if it's 10 minor breaches in any other kind of officiating, you would be in a a major breach category, wouldn't you? If you're continually, perpetually breaching the rules, however minor, it becomes a major problem. Doesn't seem to be the case. So you may as well just do it. Yeah. And and, and as you say, the problem is, is, I mean, this will be interesting because I think this will set them and Chelsea, this will set the precedent of what happens. And if they get a slap on the wrists and, and it doesn't really do a great deal for them. All it's going to do is encourage other teams, like, you know, like Liverpool and Arsenal who stay within those boundaries to say, well, fuck it. What's the point? And now, again, we don't have the owners, sadly, unlike City do, that would dip their hands in and say, well, fuck it. It doesn't matter. Is 300 mil. Just go and breach the rules and buy, you know, the positions you need. So even if that did happen, that probably wouldn't be an option for either of our teams. But I'm I'm really watching keenly what they're going to do with City because I feel it's going to have um, a, a, a massive impact. But I'll call it now if I had to. The way and how corrupt football and UEFA and things like that is, and even the Premier League, I just think the irony is they will get some kind of point deduction so it could be that this season, but how it will probably work with the Premier League, City will drag it out the legal stuff so it's not till next year, year, so they'll win the league anyway. And the real irony of it, which is I think is the most stupid thing, is they just get a massive fine. So mm-hmm. I know you've spent too much money. What's the punishment? You've got to spend more money. How is that? Well, it's just, uh, it's just is, limitless money, isn't it? Uh, Same for Chelsea. Is fair, when they've got the amount of money they have, how is that a fair punishment? But for me, if it's if you look at it compared to the Everton thing, we don't, you know, say banned from the Champions League for three or four years and <laughs> dropped to the Championship should, plus the fine should be the absolute minimum they get. Yeah, but um, it's a moot point. It's never going to change, is it? And I think if you look at the uh, the VAR technology, another side point of the money in football, uh, why we're still not getting that right when tennis can do it with a. Uh, 150 mile an hour serve or whatever they serve at these days and, and, and tell you whether it's in or out. 
oh, it couldn't be that hard to do in the Premier League, could it, with 20 pitches? Now, again, the example I always give, I think, is cricket. Cricket has probably the best use of technology in terms of getting the decisions right. You know, they've got the snicko, they've got that heat sort of spot mm-hmm. to see if they've hit it. They they get almost every decision right. And if cricket can do it, surely with the money in football, we can do it as well. Yeah, there's just no appetite for it, is it? Like you say, too much greed, too much money at the top. And why is it only in Premier League matches and not everything? It's easy enough to do. Um, but I don't know if you saw the West Ham game with our where the ball was in our out. Did you see the first goal where they had a side angle of Bowen? I didn't, I'm afraid. Yeah. I mean, it looked it looked out. It wouldn't have changed the performance, but it's just silly things like that. I mean, changes the game, doesn't it? A goal against the run of play changes the game. Uh, but how just... can you get that wrong? That That is literally the, the technology they have. They look at the ball, you know, they can freeze, they can put it down. Obviously, there's often, I think, even with football fans, a misconception that as long as there is even a millimetre of the ball on the line, it's in, it has to be fully out. But that is a pretty basic decision. You know, some of these very, very tight onside, offsides, I can possibly understand how there's there's more chance they might get them wrong. Here's my point, mate. If if the ball is a millimetre on the line, to the referee's eye, it's got to be more likely to be out than in, hasn't it? It has, probably. So the, the on-field decision should be, that looks like it's out, prove me wrong. Not, oh, I think it was a millimetre in, so we'll say it's in. And that's what's happening. Because they're not sure whether it's out, they're, they're giving it the benefit and saying it's in. Uh, it just makes yeah, no sense. Know, I, I wouldn't disagree, but I mean, again, that's where, if, if there's any doubt, you know, right, OK, we go to VAR, VAR pulls it up. Ones like that usually are relatively quick compared to, like, penalties yeah. and things like that. But they, right. they won't change the on-field decision, will they? So the on-field decisions are always wrong, is, is my problem. They're not they're not using common sense on the pitch. So then VAR's pretty much useless, isn't it? Yeah, no, 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 I, I definitely wouldn't disagree with you. Um, I mean, a couple of other points I've just got, if we've, uh, just to, from our our first podcast that um, we we uh, we discussed, um, we, we, we bigged up Matoma and we were saying about how, well, he was playing, and um, and what a great player he was, and um, how you know certainly I was saying I would take him uh, as Mo's replacement. Seems to have dropped off the face of a cliff, form wise, and hardly been playing. He's been on the bench, um, and we also bigged up uh, Istapenian and how both of them together would come as a great combo, and you'd want them both. He's hardly played and been dropped, and they've been playing <laughs> Jack Hinchelwood who I'd never even heard of, is an 18-year-old youngster uh, at left-back. So, again, Deserve is one of those managers that, given what he's done, you've got to respect um, what's going on. But that seems two strange decisions to be not playing those two, given last season's form. Yeah, they've been on a bad run as well, haven't they? They've dropped off, and I think they won against Tottenham last week. And I think Estupinian played in that game. Um, not sure whether Matoma did, but I mean the, the the class is there for both of them. But again, they've only done it for a short period of time, and I always say you've got to do it for two or three years to be considered a top player. Um, but I'd probably take a chance on on Matoma as um, as a Liverpool player. I think his pace is there, isn't it? And that's what Liverpool need, and and that's the way they play. So I still think it would be a good signing for you if uh, if you went for him. But there's no noise about that, is there? So I, I don't think he's going anywhere. 
Yeah, I think it would depend on the money. And I, I think Salah, the more, the longer it goes, the more I feel slightly happier that maybe we might even be able to keep Salah another season. Maybe I'm being naive and he, he will bugger off for the, the big bucks to um, uh, Saudi in the summer. But if we could get another season out of him, and probably at that point his form might be on the decline. Okay, we'll get slightly less money for him when we sold him, but he's still very important to us. And it gives us a little bit more time to look at options. But given Matoma's drop off, the one that, that probably I would be looking at is um, Cravadonna from Napoli. Um, he's the one that I think is the one of the next sort of breakout stars uh, that can play on a front three. He would be where I would be sticking my chips uh, if you had to ask me right now. If, you know, Mo went tomorrow, who would I buy? Um, what's, it, what's Salah got left on his contract? Signed a new one till 2025. So even yeah. if he went um, sort of, as you say, we'd keep him until the summer, I suppose, is 24. So I suppose technically if we stay, if he stayed another year, he might, or it, maybe it's 26. I don't know. I think it might be 25. But looking, uh, looking at his play now, though, he's definitely lost his Messi-like quality of sort of getting the ball, quick few touches, getting past players. I think he's more a, fin- a finisher now. He might have been going towards his Ronaldo years. He's still a goal threat, but he's not going to beat two or three players like he used to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's on the decline, but with his age, you'd, you'd probably expect that. So, um, but he, as you say, he's still, he's a man for the big games. Uh, you know, when you need him, he pops up. Uh, with that goal that you need. And I just think that um, it would be a huge loss for us because despite the the good work we've done, you know, in terms of sort of Gakpo, Diaz is 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 not quite himself yet. He's, he's still with all the personal problems. You can't yep, blame yep. him at all. Um, and, and Gakpo hasn't quite found the form that he had at PSV uh, as yet where he was playing out on the wing. So we need probably Gapo to acclimatise a bit better. I saw that he, um, he'd he hit 50 games for us and he's only scored 14 goals. I think in his last season before we bought him, uh, we bought him in January um, from PSV, uh, that season he played 20, goal, 20 games, scored 16 goals and provided 17 assists, which is just wow. insane. So he's, again, it's a lot worse league. Let's not beat, beat around the bush in terms of the Dutch league. But he, for me, hasn't quite hit the heights that I was hoping he would. You know, he's a decent player. He does pop up with the goals when we need him. But we need him to find that next couple of gears up um, if Mo was going to go. Yeah. And a quick question from me. Do you think the fans, you being one of those fans, are believing this is a title winning team not at the moment I think I think we're still again uh, I, I'm a forever, forever a realist and I think you know top four always had to be our um, target this year we had to get back into the top four that was the most important thing um, I would say we look touch wood pretty good to do that but each game that goes by um, you know dropping points against you. We've dropped points against uh, Luton. There's points we shouldn't have dropped. And if we hadn't have dropped those, like we said in the very first one, you know Man City are going to come roaring back. 
So you need to build up that five, six, seven, eight point lead. And no one has done that yet. Man City are right in, in, in the mix. So yeah. I'd like to hope so. And the longer it goes, the more I start to believe. But I just think Man City, when we know what they've done three marches in a row, they've won every league game. I'm not quite sure Liverpool, Arsenal or Villa can match that level of form, which will then boost no, City. I mean, it comes back to squad, like we always say, doesn't it? If they can sell Cole Palmer and he can become Chelsea's best player instantly, uh, it tells you their squad depth if they don't need him. He's I mean, probably he one of the... is. I mean, like, well, exactly. never even really heard of him. And every time I saw him play for City, I was like, this guy is dog shit. He's not going to make it. And like you say, he's gone to Chelsea and he's been amazing. Eight goals and four assists in 16 games, you know, <laughs> made a ma- massive difference to him. Yeah. Um, so yeah I, I agree I, I don't look at Liverpool and see oh god they're going to tear us apart like they had for a while um, the same as I look at our team I don't look at that thinking well we've got them so we're going to be alright I mean Rice has added to that confidence I believe we're better with him and maybe when party comes back I'll think it but I don't see us as a, a team that can go away from home beat teams at home comfortably and grind out results we, we have done that this year but it's it's way for thin um, the metal's not quite there yet for either of us, I'd say. Yeah, and um, that, unless you've got anything else to say, I would say it's probably a good point to leave it. Loved it, mate. Good to chat again and interesting to see what we talked about in the first podcast is pretty much about right now, isn't it? I don't think either yeah, of us moved on. too much wrong, I would say. And uh, I think um, Top Guns 2, as this will be entitled, um, we'll do a Top Guns 3, maybe a third of that, sorry, a um, a quarter of the season to go and um, hopefully both our teams of uh, uh, performance have improved and uh, we'll check in again as to how we're doing uh, and how um, what we've said today if there's uh, that's come true as well cool good stuff mate we'll see you next time yeah cheers for cheers for stepping in Grant Um, have a good uh, New Year's Day enjoy and um, speak to you soon